This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode, but now on with the show. The Federal Reserve has completely changed their stance and they've also explained why they've done so in a pretty explicit way. And the reason is that inflation is enemy number one, two, three, four, and five at this stage. So this is quite an interesting macro backdrop because all central banks will have to follow the Fed to a certain extent. Otherwise, they risk annihilating their own currency. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined by Alfonso Pecatiello and Andreas Steno Larsen. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. How did I do with the pronunciation of the name, Alf? On a scale of one to ten. You butchered it as everybody does. That's cool. That's cool. I know, but I'm an Italian too. I've got no excuse, you know, Um, (laughs) unlike the rest of these people. Uh, Guys, we've got got a really special show lined up for everyone today. Uh, Now, both of you have already been on the show on the margin as guests in the past, but there actually is a special reason and occasion why the two of you together are on this show. Now that we've done the buildup, Alf, maybe I'll pick on you. You want to give the people the good news? Sure, let's do it. So uh, on uh, Sunday, guys, this week, so 17th of April, 2022, this weird Italian guy with this Italian sounding accent here, you're going to listen to him a lot. Together with my Danish mate, Andreas Steno, we're going to launch a podcast, which is called Andreas. The macro trading floor. It's time for celebration, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Exciting, guys. What's that about, Andreas? Uh, it's about being long arc all the time, <laughs> at least for my <laughs> sense. Um, you're just kidding, of course. Um, we will invite a guest every week and ask that guest uh, to unpack his best trade idea, his or her best trade idea every week. So we promise you that this will be a very actionable trading uh, idea and uh, a podcast with actionable ideas every week. Uh, so we simply missed that when we looked across the uh, podcasts that, that we listen to. Uh, a very actionable idea every week. So fin twitters, CIOs, asset managers, watch out the macro trading floor. You can come up and blubber for 20 minutes about your macro thesis. We'll let you do that. We'll ask you a few questions. But then you'll have to come up with an actionable trade idea. And we're going to as well grill you on the reasons why that could or could not work. So watch out. Mm. Yes. And you're going to do an analysis after, right? Uh, whether or not it was good. So a lot of pressure for you fin Twitters out there. Uh, beware. But yeah. uh, it's, I'm really looking forward to this, guys. This is going to be freaking awesome. Um, and actually, for listeners of the show, we're going to basically do our best to mimic uh, what the format of the macro trading floor is going to look like. Uh, so we're going to start off in a very similar on the margin type uh, format. I'm going to ask you some questions. But then... Y'all need to stick around because we're actually going to get an actionable trade idea from both Alf and Andreas. They've prepared Ooh, for this episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Andreas is like, did I do I something? Um, I, I guess we'll see. Um, but guys, I want to I get started here. And maybe we can kind of set the scene, right, for why you both chose your actionable trade ideas. Um, Alf, you and I were kind of going back and forth before we, before we hopped on here. So kind of set the scene for us a little bit, right? There's a lot of talk about the Fed. Uh, you know, the bond market is in one of the most historic routes uh, on record, right? So walk us through what's happening, I guess, from like an interest rate environment perspective. Yeah, Michael. So the bond market is, is experiencing its worst drawdown since couple of decades from mm-hmm. uh, the lows in yields to the highs in yields that we have seen basically today or yesterday. And the reason for, for that is pretty simple. Uh, the Federal Reserve has completely changed their stance and they've also explained why they've done so in a pretty explicit way. And the reason is that inflation is enemy number one, two, three, four, and five at this stage. 
Forget mm-hmm. the dual mandate. If you look at the latest summary of economic projections, they expect interest rates to be hiked way above what they're called neutral interest rates, where the economy just hold at its potential growth rate. And nevertheless, they expect the labor market to remain super tight, even when they hike so fast, so hard. And so they're basically telling us that, you know, this is the way to go and they're not going to stop until they see demand slowing down. They literally want to see demand slowing down because if you're a central banker and inflation is 7.5% and inflation expectations are slowly starting to de-anchor, I mean, they're still relatively anchored, but there are some initial signs that things there as well are getting hot. Five-year inflation swaps in America are above 3.5%. So the expectation of the trader, but also if you look at the University of Michigan inflation expectations, they're above 3% for the next five years, way above the Federal Reserve target. When you see that and you can't hit supply because you know the Fed can't make ships uh, go in and out of the Shanghai port, they can't do that. They can't make mm-hmm. Ukraine export wheat at this stage. So the supply side of the equation is pretty hampered. What they can do is to make sure that these buoyant animal spirits we have seen in the market for the last year and a half actually slow down a bit. So they're telling me to be careful, and that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, and I, th- I think interestingly, Elf, um, they've turned so hawkish the Fed that they've actually started what I would call a reverse currency war. Uh, other central banks will simply have to follow to a certain extent, otherwise they risk annihilating their own currency. Uh, we've seen how Bank of Japan, uh, at least initially, completely refused to follow in the footsteps of other central banks in turning hawkish. Uh, and the immediate reaction from the market was just to sell the uh, Japanese yen with an arm and a leg. Um, so this is quite an interesting macro backdrop because all central banks will have to follow the Fed to a certain extent. Alf, we were, again, talking about this before we got on the show, but the bond market, right, is the financial backbone, right, for the entire economy. So we're certainly seeing some turnover in the bond market. But so far, it doesn't look like other financial markets have responded, right? So if you look at the stock market, the indices are pretty stubbornly, right? I mean, there's there's some some kind of light selling, but uh, they're still pretty much within spitting distance of all-time highs. If there's such turbulence in the bond market, which is so central, right, to capital markets globally, why haven't we seen that translate uh, into the stock market? It's a good question, Mike. And so stock markets are down around 10% more or less year to date, right? Mm -hmm. Which is quite a sell-off. But given the speed and the volatility adjusted sell-off in the bond market, you have to be surprised that even the the, the indices in general are holding out out okay. But if you look under the hood in market internals, you will start to see that some sectors are suffering more than the others. So the high beta sectors have been hit more. I know that Andreas wants to talk about uh, basically sector trade later on. Um, So there is a lot happening under the hood, but the reality is that uh, for equity markets or credit markets to react, you need, well, basically a couple of things at this stage. I would say the first is time. And why do I say that is because the bond market is the backbone of the capital structure of the economy. Everything that is priced in the private sector in terms of bonds or equities is ultimately priced out of risk-free rates. And risk-free rates in this case being, you know, let's say treasury yields to make it simple. Let's no, not go into the fixed income weeds. I can be a geek there. So I won't do that. Uh, let's say treasury yields. Obviously, when they move up, then even assuming unchanged credit spreads, Michael, the private sector starts to see a refinancing rates, which are much higher than what they're used to. And so if you are a corporate or a household, you will think twice before uh, basically trying to repeat your business model and roll mm. over your debt 
at the new higher interest rates. But it takes time before committees take decisions and economic agents and private sector actually start to see uh, the new increased borrowing costs. And the other thing that hasn't happened yet really is the repricing of earnings, which all my models point out to earnings being much lower than the analyst consensus out there, which is still 10, 11% year on year growth for the S&P 500 earnings. I think we're going to get less than that, but you need time for things to unravel. I, I, I tend to agree with that view, Alf. And um, I think there is an old rule of thumb within central banks that it takes around 12 to 18 months from a monetary policy tightening until you actually see the consequences in the real economy. Uh, and when you look at the lead lag patterns uh, from interest rates to the economic activity, that is actually true uh, if you look at it from uh, an empiric uh, historical perspective. So we uh, we simply have the phase upcoming where interest rates will start to uh, become a drag on, on real economic activity. Yeah. I have to agree, Andreas. It also takes 12 to 18 minutes for an, a southern Italian to show up at a meeting, always late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so lead lag, uh, the, the, the principle extends beyond just financial markets. Um, guys, outside of just the, the increased borrowing cost for the private sector, what are some other ways, right, that um, the repricing of rates kind of tends to trickle into the economy? You know, one thing that I do think about is, is housing in general, right? So housing globally, but especially in the United States, has really just taken off like a rocket, right? And I'm starting to look at these rates creeping up. And, you know, I'm just looking at this thinking, how does this not impact the price of housing? Like, what are your thoughts on the housing sector in the U.S. in general? I, I think the same rule of thumb holds. Uh, so basically, when you see a repricing of the fixed income space, you should expect the uh, price repercussions to occur with a time lag of three, four, five quarters. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we've seen in mortgage rates this year will, of course, um, uh, bear a consequence for, uh, for real estate markets globally, I think, uh, but maybe most materially in the US. Uh, and The correlation is super strong if you look at mortgage rates versus the uh, nominal price development in uh, in the real estate sector with the time lag of four to five quarters. I always say the housing house prices can be thought of a 30-year inflation-adjusted bond from mm. a certain perspective. And why is that? I mean, th this is a bond that you need to service in terms of coupons you need to pay off as a debt with your salary, with your earnings, right, if you're a private sector agent. But I, I compare houses with the bonds because most of the housing market is a leveraged play through mortgages. So people borrow money they don't have, effectively, money that is freshly created by banks to go up and buy houses in the form of a mortgage. And a mortgage can be thought of effectively as an inflation-adjusted third-year bond that you need to serve. And so, you know, because salaries in America adjusted for inflation, Michael, and haven't gone really up, they've gone down over the last year and a half. Yeah. And house prices have gone up at the same time by like 20% or so over the last year, year and a half. And the mortgage rates are now 5.25% at the last reading in 30 years, rather than 2.75%. You immediately realize that with the, with the same good old salary you had before adjusted for inflation, But with the house, 20% more expensive and mortgage rates to the moon, you, you just can't afford it. It's very simple. The, the bond that you are willing to buy today doesn't have the same price that it had in the past. It can't have the same price because you can't afford it. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why we're, you know, I'm kind of asking about different asset classes, right, in general, is I think what makes this particular moment in time pretty unique is that many asset classes are at all-time highs, right? So for U.S. equities, we're a spitting distance of all-time highs. Bonds uh, feel very richly priced, although I will admit they've sold off quite a bit. Real estate, 
everything, right? It just feels very challenging. Um, so I suppose from the perspective of an asset or an active manager, how are you guys thinking about strategies here? Like what are the high level principles? Like maybe it's around duration or spreads or volatility or other things that you're looking at other than just specific asset classes. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's very hard to find good directional bets right now. Um, mm-hmm. You might um, sort of be tempted into uh, short bets on uh, on risk assets in general. Uh, I, I think it's a bit too early, but but uh, I mean, they look tempting from a, uh, a medium-term perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I personally prefer to uh, reflect my own macro thesis via spread trades at the moment, uh, simply to have uh, less volatility um, captured in, in, in my positions. Um, it is very tricky to call the direction right now, and therefore I prefer spreads. It's as simple as that. Fair call. Uh, Mike, I would say I had a chat with both Andreas and Darius, December, January, um, we discussed the fact that this market isn't a beta market, it's an alpha market. And what it mean, this mm-hmm. means is that we have been used for years, actually between 2017 and 2020, then we had the hard stop with the pandemic, but then with 2021, the trend started again to just being invested passively in risk assets. Let's say, call it whatever that was, literally almost everything out there. You just sit it out, and at the end of the year, your return adjusted for volatility was extremely high. A thing called sharp ratio, which measures the return adjusted for volatility, was something like above two for most assets. Where, where again, if you apply for a hedge fund, Mike, they ask you for sharp ratios above one and a half with your strategies. Mm-hmm. And most people could just sit an S and P five hundred ETF for a full year and make a sharp of two for actually mm-hmm. a few years. So people are just used to sit it out, and you know it's gonna it's gonna grind higher, no vol. And this is a beta market. That was a beta market. You just sit it out, take some exposure passively, and you're fine. And this market is, is the exact opposite. You know, if you're mm-hmm. sitting out in long beta stuff, like, you know, 60-40 portfolio, typical passive strategy, you're getting absolutely slaughtered. And when measured, for, uh, you know, for adjusted for volatility, you're getting slaughtered even more. Because the volatility, especially in the bond market this year, has been pretty high compared to the past. So you've got to have more active strategies on, and um, you have to be nuanced and very nimble. It's a, it's a difficult market for passive retail investors. This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the world's leading blockchain infrastructure platform. Blockdaemon's mission is simple. Make spinning up a node so easy a five-year-old could do it and so secure that any chief compliance officer in the world could sleep easy at night. In plain English, Blockdaemon allows anyone, whether you're a crypto-native fund, a financial institution, a DeFi protocol, whatever, to participate in crypto more safely. For some, that can mean participating in governance. It could mean gathering real-time and accurate data. It could mean generating yield through staking. Whatever it is, when it comes to crypto, infrastructure is edge, and there's simply no better edge offered than the one from Blockdaemon. Blockdaemon supports a range of services on over 50 protocols, and that's a growing list. They have multiple layers of risk mitigation that include regional and data center diversity, 24-7 human and automated monitoring, a full-service team of engineers to avoid technical difficulties, and things like slashing insurance. In other words, they literally make it foolproof. If your organization relies on real-time, accurate data that comes from blockchains, please, please, please click the link at the bottom of this episode and go check them out. Again, it's important. Got to click the link at the bottom. Otherwise, I won't get my credit. So it's an alpha market out there. 
That's a good thing because this is an alpha podcast. <laughs> that is my horrendous <laughs> non sequitur. Uh, and I'm going to pick on you, Andreas, here, actually. Um, why don't you give you, – you talked about uh, you know, preferring spread trades, right, maybe overtaking directional bets. First, could you actually just give a disclaimer for the audience here when you say a spread trade, what exactly that means and why your preference is to do a spread trade as opposed to a directional bet? And then let's get into your specific uh, trading idea. Uh, what I mean by a spread trade is that I trade uh, an equity position in this case, uh, both from the long side and from the short side. So I pick one sector of the equity market, uh, which I prefer being long in, and then I pick one other sector of the equity market that I prefer being short in. Uh, and the point here is that you trade the spread between those two sectors and not the overall direction of the equity market. Uh, so in that sense, it has a lower embedded volatility in it. Um, I, I wouldn't say that all spread trades per se uh, uh, hold a, a lower embedded volatility, but most spread trades do. And the trade that I suggest certainly does. Um, so the point that I want to make tonight is that the best way to reflect the upcoming macro regime is to look at how to play a weakening demand side in a relative equity trade. Uh, because I think we're talking way too little about the demand side at the moment. Uh, we've been stuck in a discussion on, on supply for maybe 12 months in a row now. Uh, but the demand side is looking quite ugly. All right. So walk us through exactly what, first of all, when you say focus on the supply versus demand side, let's talk about exactly what that means. And then walk us through how that actually gets translated in your, um, in your idea. If we look at the demand side right now, uh, then most forward-looking indicators, uh, they look quite grim. Um, and it holds both for Europe, uh, it holds for the United States, and it also holds to a certain extent for China, at least for the short term, okay. uh, given the uh, lockdown that we've seen being implemented in China over the past couple of weeks due to uh, to the virus spreading again in, uh, in China. So I think China was kind of the hope for growth this year. I still yep. think that there is a glimpse of hope when we get uh, to the Fourth of uh, quarter, fourth quarter of this year, but for the short term, there is no hope at all uh, in terms of growth momentum anywhere at all uh, on the globe, um, and and therefore um, it it is quite simple for me uh, to reflect that in um, in what I will call a necessities trade. Um, mm. So I, I basically prefer. Uh, to belong what's called consumer staples. Mm. Uh, and um, I found an ETF called iShares S&P 500 Consumer Staples um, Usage. Uh, it's a usage uh, ETF. Um, and I prefer to be along one lot of that. Uh, and against that, I'm short one lot of um, the MSCI Consumer Discretionary uh, Index ETF. Uh, so to be very practical, um, I'm basically long Walmart here. Uh, and short Amazon. Uh, so so um, what good. I want to be long is basic necessities. Uh, given the food inflation we see, uh, and food inflation is bound to increase even more uh, as a lack consequence of both the crisis in Ukraine, but also the pickup in, uh, in energy prices that we've seen over the past couple of quarters, uh, then uh, I, I simply expect a consumption shift back towards necessities. Uh, and given that a real wage growth is still negative, more or less, um, across the globe, then uh, I guess... Um, Consumer staples uh, being necessities uh, is a good place to hide uh, as a spread trade versus slightly more um, discretionary stuff from for the consumer. 
Got it. So let me just uh, see if I can summarize from a high level here the the, re- the rationale for this particular trade, right? We don't want to take directional risk in the equity market, right? So the spread trade kind of eliminates that. And the idea, the macro thesis kind of being with China's kind of slowing, uh, you know, leading indicators of economic growth, what we want to do in a potential recessionary type environment is go long things people need and yeah. short things that people don't need. And that's yeah. the idea. Great. Any other examples of... Uh, Staples versus discretion. So I like the the Walmart uh, and Amazon example, but what are some other examples of what might be included in like the staples category? And what are some other examples of what might be included in the discretionaries? Um, in the staples category, the uh, biggest position in this particular ETF is Procter & Gamble. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess most people know that. Uh, and in the consumer dis- discretionary index, um, Tesla is also a big position. Uh, so there is a, a slight, slight component of being short tech in this, which I guess uh, is a decent bet given what... Uh, uh, we see in interest rate markets these days as well. Got it. Um, all right. I want to make sure we've got enough time for Alf's uh, actionable trade idea here as well. So Alf, what do you got for us? So the trade is to be short LQDH. It's a, mm-hmm. an ETF, which basically uh, looks at the investment US investment grade corporate bond spreads and allows you to be the longer short. So the idea is to be short spreads, which means that you have to expect corporate spreads to go wider from here. So the reason why I set up the trade is because um, I've been trained as a, as a, as a risk taker uh, to look at risk rewards of trades. And so Mike, we discussed before my macro thesis and effectively the Federal Reserve is telling me they want to see tighter financial conditions and they will only consider stopping when they've seen demand literally slowing down and inflation also start to print at or below their expectations and inflation expectations as well slowing down. Well, to achieve that, I think you have to push until something basically breaks. I mean, breaks is a big word, but if I look at the basket of the financial condition index, I see in there real interest rates, well, they have repriced pretty aggressively already. Today, we breached uh, positive levels for US long-term real interest rates, all the way from minus 2%, we are now trading at almost positive uh, real interest rates. So that part has repriced. Equity valuations, they have started to adjust pretty meaningfully. And then I look at the other component of financial condition index, which is corporate spreads. So mortgage rates, of course, have gone up as well. That's part of the financial condition index. The thing that is lagging a bit in all this equation is is corporate spreads. They have widened since the beginning of the year, but not as much as their beta would imply in this basket. So I think it's 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 a relatively decent risk reward trade where I can be wrong if earnings turn out to be stronger than I expected, or if inflation slows down in a benign way without the Federal Reserve having to really pull the trigger, as they promised to. Um, I think if I look at the overall macro picture, you know, credit spreads here are looking pretty weak. And that's one angle where I would like to benefit by being short this ETF. Um, the other thing I need to add is that quantitative tightening is going to start soon. And the schedule from the Federal Reserve is mm-hmm. relatively aggressive. And when they drain reserves from the system and collateral needs to be absorbed by the private sector with much less reserves than in the past, many of the treasuries and other you know, pension funds and other players out there that used to be relatively aggressive on corporate bonds as an asset mm-hmm. they could buy, a relatively liquid bond they could buy with a bit of spread over treasuries, they're now going to be much less aggressive in doing so. As the economy slows down and there are less reserves in the system and the same or more collateral to be absorbed with a declining amount of reserves. 
So I think credit spreads are a, a pain point uh, in terms of risk assets here and a good risk reward plays where to be short. LQDH is the ETF. Excellent. I just wanted to say to Alf that I uh, I fixed the J. Powell um, printing <laughs> GIF, so I actually reversed it, and you can see it on my Twitter because that's <laughs> essentially what we will uh, experience over the next couple of quarters: money printing in reverse. So reverse. Brrr. So, so it's, what it's, is what, that? It's, it's, it's a vacuum. <laughs> it's a vacuum now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got two follow-up questions for you there, Alf, just for, for listeners. So one, you know, when you talk about spreads widening, what's the magnitude kind of that we're talking about here, right? What are spreads at now? What do you expect them to move to? Yeah. Um, and then my other question for you is why did you choose this particular part in the debt structure, right? Like why not do the same thing basically with spreads between investment grade and high yield? So why are we looking at this particular spread? Mm, that's a very, very good question. So the first is uh, the levels this ETF is trading at the moment, it's an interest rate hedged ETF, Mike. So we are only trading corporate bond spreads. Whatever interest rates go up or down, this ETF doesn't really matter. It's a pretty cool product, actually, because to hedge interest rate, you need to do swaps, and they're already embedded in the ETF. So that's cool. Now, spreads. Five-year US corporate bond spreads are trading at about 75 basis point, more or less, maybe 80, slightly below 80 basis point. I expect uh, this ETF to re to basically reflect corporate bond spreads above 100 basis points somewhere in this quarter. And although 20 basis points might not look a lot, the implied and realized volatility in this ETF is actually pretty low. So a 20, 25 basis point moving credit spreads, uh, investment grade credit spreads, not junk bonds credit spread, is actually quite a large move. So when you adjust for volatility, this basically reflects in about 4 or 5% in the outright price of this ETF. It's several standard deviation moves. And I think that can happen. Why do I say 100 basis points? Is because historically, the Federal Reserve has always tried to pivot back to a more dovish stance when these credit spreads start to go all the way up to 100 basis points. This time, it's going to be much more difficult for them to pivot back if inflation expectations are still very high, Mike, and inflation is still 7%. I mean, tell me, how are you going to pivot back because some U.S. corporates have to borrow at more expensive levels? You, you, sorry, but the, the theory doesn't hold. So 100 basis point equivalent in this ETF, it's a 4 5% decline from here. And I think that can happen. It's my first target, basically. Why haven't I chosen a high yield? There is the same version of this ETF. It's called HYGH. So that's the high yield interest rate hedged bond. So it's, a, it's high yield corporate, bonds, uh, corporate spreads. The reason is because... Um, First, in that part of the, of, the, of the space, there are quite some players that are in the oil and gas um, sector, which has benefited quite a lot from the rally we have seen. And it starts to get some interest from people that want to get exposure to that sector via bonds. And so they do that maybe with that ETF. And um, to be honest, the LQDH, uh, once I adjust for beta, hasn't really moved that much, while the HYGH has already moved quite aggressively as one of the first pain points where people go junk over levered companies still they realized oh there's actually quite some oil and gas in there you know maybe i you know maybe i should reconsider that so i i think a better risk reward adjusted version is the investment grade corporate bond etf you know hopefully for those of you who are listening out here uh, i'm going to pump your tires a little bit here um i think this i think this particular this particular format is so cool because very you know it's very common to kind of listen to these podcasts and you kind of hear these ideas, but you know, to distill it down to this level and provide actionable 
uh, you know, recommendations like this, I think is super unique. Um, and you guys are too modest to say this. And coming from these guys, uh, it's, it's very unique offering. So, um, I know we're, we're running low on time here, so we, we've got to wrap, but guys, uh, I'm going to, we're, Guys, if you're listening to this show, check the show notes of the podcast. There'll be a trailer, a link to the trailer there. You can go and sign up so that when the show does go live, uh, you can just go and, and find it immediately. But um, Alpha Andreas, any, any closing thoughts that you guys want to share? I think this was quite intimidating. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I look forward to interviewing our guests. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be so cool to sit on the other side and grill yes. them out. Like, By the way, our first guest is so cool, guys. He's, he's a mm. great guy. He's going to mm. come on board and we're going to have... Also, European risk takers on yes. and American people that, that take risks literally. And they're going to share with us their trade ideas, their macro thesis. We're going to grill them out. And uh, it's going to be fun, by the way, as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to try not to bore you. Um, and uh, what can I say? Oh, subscribe to Blockworks. I mean, most of our, all our episodes will be published on the Blockworks YouTube page and, uh, you know, Apple Podcast, Spotify. But do subscribe to the Blockworks YouTube channel. All right, guys, you heard it directly from the source. Uh, gentlemen, this was a ton of fun. I cannot wait for the first episode of the show. Um, we'll see you soon. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao, guys.